spoken me. I went to sleep that night without knowing that it would be the last night I ever spent in that bed at my parents' house in London. Meredith, my mum shook me awake. The room was dark, making it obvious it wasn't morning yet, or not time to get up for school anyway. Mum, I mumbled in my half-asleep state. It's time to go. Everything I told you about those stories is true. It's time for you to leave us so you can train to be a protector. Your dad and I, we've done everything we possibly can to prepare you. First Charge is the first book in the Destiny Initiative series by Amanda The book can be purchased in paperback from Amazon. The e-book can also be purchased on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books and many others. Spoken Have you ever thought about what Santa Claus would be like as a zombie? Or maybe you've wondered how he would cope with climate change, Brexit or any number of issues facing the UK and beyond. Probably not, but if you're now wondering, you can buy The Twelve Deaths of Father Christmas by Amanda Steele. It's a collection of flash fiction stories with accompanying images in which Santa dies in different ways. There's a political slant to many of the pieces and added sarcasm. This is not for children. Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, Spoken label dot bandcamp.com. On the bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want, so you are entitled if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you're going to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always eternally grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs of this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, guys, and the end. Spoken label back in the house. On Zoom again today, and we're quite reasonably local ones today. So after some performances of me and me all over Europe and the world, I'm back quite close to where some I used to grow up actually. And this gentleman doesn't know that. Gentleman chatting to today, but I don't realise I actually grew up in Cholton. Wasn't born there and lived there, but my uncle used to live down St Clement's Road, so I, I tend to know it very well around there. So but I've got Mike Boo with us today. Mike's been brilliant because been one of the regular supporters of Speakeasy in our literature open night night in Stratford that me and Amanda Steve runs. Pretty well since me and Steve took it over it and Amanda later. So he's been he's one of our stalwart supporters and I've always wanted to get him in for a session. And he's that quiet and shy. We've <laughs> 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 never got round to it. So Mike, seriously, introduce yourself, mate. Tell everybody who you are, where you originally came from and where you are now and what led you on to your writing? We'll take it that. Oh, thanks, Andy. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on this. It's a real nice uh, luxury to be able to talk about myself and then read my poems. So it's a real treat. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Mike Booth. I've um, been going to the Speakeasy uh, reading groups for about four or five years. And um, I originally was from down south. I moved up to Manchester when I was about 14, went to school in Salford and uh, had a bit of a culture shock and one of the poems i'm going to read later on is partly about the northern culture 
Um, and I'm an English teacher, so I've spent a long time studying poems and teaching poems and learning the classics and all of that. I suppose the highlight of my um, poetry career was in my primary school years. When I was 10, I had three poems published in the primary school magazine. And, and then, of course, I stopped writing because um, life gets in the way and you just think your stuff is rubbish and you're not going to do it anymore. But in the last five years or so, I've started and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great thing. Lots of great people and inspired by the people around me that I'm hearing as well. Yeah, it's always a pleasure hearing your stuff, Mike. Because anyone knows Mike's work, he's one of the most versatile writers I know, actually. And it's great because you don't know what he's going to come out with all the time. And that's in a good way, right? So, no, that's brilliant. That. So, I said, I know you said you told me before, like, your first your first open mic night was actually not our speakeasy, was it? You went down to the Waterside Centre in Sale, didn't you? Yeah, I'd been um, writing a few poems and just thought, um, I don't know why, I had the impulse to go and try to share them and read them with to somebody. So I just thought, oh, I'll, I think I'll Google it and how do you get into a spoken night, spoken word night? And I went very nervously to the Waterside uh, Theatre in Sale and there was a very friendly little group there. And I went quite a few times and they were very welcoming, but, you know, five or six people originally and then it grew a bit. And then I can't really remember how I got in touch with Speakeasy, but um, I love the atmosphere of Speakeasy. And again, when I first went, there was four or five people there around a table just sharing their stuff. But it's grown and grown and there's a fantastic range of things happening there now. And it's all gone on Zoom now, but um, really inspiring. We get a good 20 to 30 people most nights, don't we? And, uh, Andy yeah. and Steve Smythe do a great job running it. Yeah, it's true. True. I wasn't sure if you, you know, we talked about something like before, whether you knew Steve before obviously speak easy because I know you you and Steve got on really well you do and like I said it shows yeah. you sometimes like it was then you can make friends with post circuits without even realizing sometimes Can't yeah I really have made lots of good friends through it it's been very uh, a great asset to my social life as well although all all on zoom at the moment but uh, you know it's nice to have a drink afterwards with people and chat about anything but uh, hear how other people are writing as well yeah triple our friend reggie that always is the word drink don't make <laughs> get you drunk if you're not careful <laughs> um, and i know you told me before obviously you, you, you do you've been choirs or something as well weren't you so i know you've not just done yeah. writing you've done other creative stuff haven't you as well yeah, I'm in two choirs. Um, I've got one of the T-shirts on at the moment for the Rhythm of Life Choir, which is um, based at the Christie Hospital. And um, we're still going on Zoom as well um, once a week. And we were doing lots of performances. We were in Cold Feet uh, a few years ago, about two or three years ago. And the other choir I'm in was called, it's called the Quarter Notes, which is in the Northern Quarter. So I suppose poetry and singing have been the two new passions that I've had in the last four or five years, which have yeah. really um, inspired me. Interesting. Now, I guess, um, well, I've had interesting enough. I'll come on to your poetry in a minute, but what made you want to actually go and do the choirs? Was that something? Okay, it's quite different to obviously doing stand up, doing your poetry and stuff like that. Well, very similar in some ways because I used to sing in a church choir and I'd not sung for years and years. And then I just thought I need something new to inspire me. And I think I went to see a choir or a friend brought me along to a choir. That was it. And the um, rhythm of life. And I really enjoyed it and very good fun, lovely people. So I've been really enjoying singing. My voice isn't good enough to sing solos or anything like that, but it's all sort of close harmony and um, great fun. It's not really performance. It's an endorphin choir, so it makes you feel good. And I'd say the same about the poetry, the poetry, reading it, but also listening to it makes me feel good. So it's all been a, a feel-good uh, project, if you like. Yeah, like I said, it's um, it's interesting that uh, can you do stuff like that. It certainly does keep you very, very busy. Like I said, you, you do your choir thing. What? So you what? Is it, are they both on every week? Or is it just 
Yeah, every week, Monday and Wednesday, and sometimes I would go to the choir on Wednesday and then jump on the tram and get to speak easy straight afterwards. So I'd do the choir and then poetry in one evening. Wow, wow, that's something going that. It must be hard. So no fair play to you, mate. Definitely that one. So yeah, no, it's like and you're, you've also been a regular member of them. The workshop me and Amanda do as well, haven't you? As well. So. Yeah, I'm loving those. It's a re- it's a really nice informal group, and we have a really good laugh. And it's all writing in a time scale of ten minutes or something like that, and then we just share each other's work, and it's it's good fun. Have you ever have you ever gone to a writing workshop like that before? Then have you? Was no, that no, not really. I mean, I've taught creative writing where I do something similar, where we kind of. Um, one thing I do is called mindful uh, writing, where you just look mm. around the room that you're in and describe <clears> it in every way that you can using all the senses and spotting small details that only you can spot. But I've never experienced the workshops like that myself, and um, they're very stimulating. Yeah, they really can get you going. So I know obviously it's a four-year English teacher, aren't you? So with that, so because uh, um, did you um, always intend to be an English teacher when you're growing up, or did that come later in life as well? Oh, I'm still not sure what I want to do when I grow up. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd do it for a few years and uh, I stopped, I've done 30 years or something at it and it's a wonderful job but it's a very stressful job sometimes as well and it's it's been my passion but I kind of I think when I did my degree I was just reading everything I was told to and um, now I'm kind of trying to select the things that I enjoy mo- most I still don't read as much as I should or could um, but English teaching's certainly given me a good gift of the gab if you like and ability to analyze and explore things yeah i think you do and isn't what you do in a sort of degree like and obviously it forces you to think things in a more analytical way and i know i know exactly. about my own writing as well so i've learned a lot of that from doing workshops over the years so i know exactly what you mean there so yeah. when you were growing up then did you have the sort of writers and poets that you really liked or that have proved to be ongoing influences i know dylan yeah. thomas is one of your big favorites and yeah, we're going to hear that later. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read that one. I remember seeing um, a production of Undermilk Wood when I was a student, and it blew me away with the clever wordplay and the rhythms and the sounds of it. That was a really powerful moment. Um, and I studied Tennyson uh, for A-level. I remember that having quite an impact. Um, but I don't think when I was younger, I had that much uh, contact with poetry. It was um, I went on a write. Actually, I did go on a writer's workshop when I was a teacher in the 90s with Simon Armitage. And it was at Lumbank, the residential centre, where oh, wow. you just gathered around and you went for walks and then the students would write stuff based on it. And um, that kind of inspired me. But it kind of was always just in the background until more recently. And um, I think one of my biggest inspirations at the moment has been Kay Tempest. Uh, I've seen them um, a couple of times and they're amazing, just the, the fluency of how they, they produce the poetry. It's just awesome. Yeah, massive change. Kate Tempest has done a fantastic job changing the poetry and landscape. Kate and a few, a few of the more younger sort of poets at the moment. It's changed everything. And it's... Yeah, I've just been reading her poem on her book, their book on connection, which is a, a brilliant um, description of performance and um, connection and creativity. And it's I highly recommend it to anybody. It's a very readable book. You could read it in no time. Has it impacted your own work, Kate's work, has it all? I did try to write a couple in that sort of style, kind of, um, I even tried, I think you were there when I did one with music background. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I just thought it's a worth experimenting with different styles and um, and the other one that's been an influence has probably been Blake, William Blake, who writes in a very straightforward, simple rhyming pattern, um, much more conventional. Um, so some of my poems tend towards rhyme like his. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I, like you said. I try to be versatile. I try to find different styles. Some um, 
some funny ones, some moving ones, some deeper ones, some kind of um, rhyming ones. Rhyme is my big bugbear. I always get drawn back to rhyme. And oh, I know. Um, but you make it, the difference is, Mike. You make your rhymes work. And when you hear some yeah. rhyming poetry, you know yourself, the rhymes are forced and they can be really, really bad. Yours is one yeah. of the few. You're one of the few writers I know that doesn't do that. You make it work for yourself. Oh, thank you, Andy. That's very kind of you to say so. Yeah. No, I'm trying to I'll, develop a more subtle use of rhyme where it's not always just the end words that rhyme. Um, and some of the people at the creative um, workshops and people like that have inspired me to develop my poetry style a bit more. So I'm hoping to be still learning. I think, well, I think as a writer, it's always a good thing. That you have. It's, a good writer will admit the work is still developing. It always will be developing. So if, I, if, you, yeah. if you stop, stand still, you're always going to be walking around in circles. And it's healthy for a writer that. Now, I know obviously you're a family man yourself, aren't you? So, Zach, is, is your writing pattern as and when you get chancing, really, is it? You run around after your family and lunatic yeah. kid, and your lunatic kitten, you were telling about the other day as well. Uh, yeah, I've got two kids and uh, a cat, and uh, it's a busy life during the day, so I don't tend to write very much during the day. My writing tends to be late in the evening or if I'm on a train or a bus or if I'm waiting somewhere. And it actually started when I wasn't sleeping. I was, I think, like a lot of people um, in the poetry scene, I'd had a difficult time and um, experienced a lot of trauma. And I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning. So I started just um, doing the blog, writing stuff on the blog. And then I thought I'll try to put it into a poem about how I was feeling. And and then the poems went on to their own blog. And so I often do early morning writing sessions. If I wake up at four or five in the morning, that's when I can write, when it's nice and quiet and don't have distractions. I know Amanda does it at two or three in the morning on the shows. She wakes yeah. up for way before I do. And I can I do it when she goes to bed because our sleep patterns are completely different. So that's why it's like it, it's what it's whatever works for a certain person, isn't it? So yeah. I've got to mention one other person is Leonard Cohen. So sometimes <laughs> everyone oh, yeah. thinks his music to slit your wrist by, but um sometimes I'd go down and put his music on and that would be very inspiring with his brilliant wordplay and his poetry really, and uh, that would I'd be listening to him while I was writing sometimes. So he's great. No, definitely that one, John. Do you find that obviously for you when you're writing such a varied amount of work, and yours is you really are there, just I keep I keep preaching. But when you sit down to writing, do you have any sort of of the directions you want to go, or is it just do you sit down when you're writing in the morning thinking what should what just go with the yeah, flow base? Isn't it? I, yeah. I was thinking what, what inspires me. And sometimes it's a phrase that comes into my head. One of the phrases I've been dwelling on quite a lot is fingers crossed. And I'm thinking if I ever release an anthology, it would probably be called fingers crossed. Yeah, um, I love yeah. Topical for our times. So it might be a little phrase that comes into our heads or it might be <clears throat> um, a line or a rhyme or a person that you've met or something you've <laughs> seen in the news or heard about. So, and then it seems to just come in a rush when I write, I just pour it all out. I don't quite know where it's going until I kind of get to the end of it. And I don't edit it that much afterwards. And sometimes it doesn't help that much to edit, does it? You kind of can take the life out of it. If you take changes and things like that. So it tends to, some of them that I'll read to, today have just been poured out really fast. I think, but the thing is that you tell already, because you've done your backgrounds as a teacher and also your student days, your analytical brain will probably bring it out probably fairly quick, sometimes, and it'll be to a reasonable level, won't it? So that's yeah, why sometimes I Sometimes you get a feeling you can never finish it, though. It can always be changed and always improved and always played with and amended. So you can kind of get a bit of a, not quite writer's block, but editor's block, I suppose, where you're trying to make it better and better and think this phrase could be tighter, but... That way lies madness, I think, because you're constantly trying to um, amend and recreate what you've written. 
Yeah, I think so. There's also sometimes a case where it can be too much perfection. And it's best to you take away the original train of thought, which would be overdue. Yeah. The freshness goes, doesn't it? It becomes stale. Yeah, you were telling me before as well, and I hope you don't mind repeating this story. I thought it was really, really engaging. I asked you before on a different note about your background as a writer. You were talking about when your uncles used to be a writer, didn't he, as well? Yeah, my uncle David, who lives in Glasgow, um, would write long poems and sometimes said them to me, and they were very eclectic and obscure sometimes. You felt like you needed footnotes. But then again, it worked for Elliot, so uh, other writers need footnotes sometimes. But, um, yeah, he had a way with words, and I think in our family we're all pretty good talkers, and, um, you know, we like joking and puns and things like that, so maybe that's part of my genes. Yeah, you're, you're, I know you do put your puns in poems sometimes. You can cook really beautifully as well. So, But Thanks. you've done a few poems, I know. I remember and the Dylan Thomas ones you're doing second half is definitely one of them. And, I, and I'm sure you've done this two or three other poems as well, where you do in other voices, like in accents and stuff. Well, what? yeah, I'm going to do one in a northern accent as well. And uh, I'm I'm English language teacher, so I've learned quite a lot about accents. I'm always fascinated by the way people speak differently and think differently. So it's kind of um, it's part of my interest and repertoire. And sometimes I'm I'm a bit of a plagiarist. I steal other people's ideas. So I stole Dylan Thomas's ideas, and I wrote one based on um, um, the Kipling poem um, about rhyme and poetry. If you can. Um, writing rhyme and not make rhyme your master and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of just a bit of a magpie picking up <laughs> different things from different people. I would never say stealing. I'd term it homage, right? So <laughs> but that one definitely works. So that's great. Do you, and you've obviously hinted at before, like um, you used the word to put your hands crossed for. Do you ever envisage you will bring a book out together with your best pieces? Um, well, I've got friends who are putting together simple collections through apps on your computer. It's very easy these days, isn't it? Some of yeah. my family have been really encouraging, saying, oh, you must publish and you must send them off for a book. But in some ways, the simplest way now is just to do it all self-publish, really. And you can do it quite easily now, can't you? Yeah. I make no pretense to my stuff being great poetry, though. I think I'm flattered that anyone wants to listen to it or, or read it. So it's mostly been for me just enjoying it. And if anyone has any resonance with anything that I've say that's that's great um but uh, <laughs> I think my family can be a bit um over praising of my skills <laughs> that's what families are for aren't they <laughs> oh yeah completely okay in case of like, my mum and dad I never show my poetry to them unless I'm looking at a blank face no I'm getting completed now you did mention before you've got a blog as well with your poetry is that still active that blog at the moment uh, yeah, I haven't put on it for quite a while. It's the Write Out Loud. Um, oh, you're Write Out Loud, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm on there. Mike Booth, most of my stuff is on there, but I've got a bit lazy about putting things on recently. Um, and originally I did WordPress as well, um, but um, that's not been used for a long time. So Write Out Loud is the main place. So I'm, I think it's writeoutloud.net, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll track that down later. I didn't, I didn't know you're on Write Out Loud, actually. So that's fine. And if people want to find out more about you, Mike, they're best going to your Facebook page, aren't they? And dropping you an ad and chatting to you. Yeah, I've not put loads out on Facebook, but you can certainly contact me on Facebook. Yeah, and um, I'm very happy to to chat and exchange work or whatever it might be. So yeah. that's, that's great. And if people want to start throwing you a couple hundred pounds here and there randomly, I'm sure you wouldn't say Always no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Brilliant. Well, that's pretty all my questions, Mike, anyway. So. What we'll do is we'll let you take a deep breath and I'll just say a quick breath and you're going to come back in the viewers and do some, do some of your poems for us. So. 
Great stuff. Right. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Right. Take care, guys, girls. We'll see you in part two in a minute. Thanks very much. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Okie dokie. Straight over to Mike. Over to you, buddy. Hiya. Okay, well, thanks everyone. Um, I'm just going to read five, four, four or five poems and I'm trying to cover the range of some of the stuff I've written. And this one uh, was written when I went to a, a friend's house and we had to make up a poem in a style of Welsh poetry. And the first Welsh poet which came into my mind was Dylan Thomas. And they lived in Didsbury, this couple, lovely Andy and Jelly. And um, so I thought I'd write something based on Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas. And being on Burton Road, Richard Burton, I've read one of the best versions of Under Milkwood. I really advise people to watch it or listen to it. And uh, so it's uh, set on Burton Road. It's a tribute and a commentary <coughs> on Didsbury. And it's called Under Pars Wood. And I have to read it, I'm afraid, in a Richard Burton style Welsh accent. To begin at the beginning or the end of the road, which is a kind of a beginning. It is spring and the mosque stands guard, though few burkers promenade its streets or frequent its bars. Its spires punctuate the sky, echoes of the old Methodist chapel, and guides the way down Burton Road. The shutters came down and the doors were locked. Towels hung on the pumps for the last time, and weary baristas and bar stewards sloped off into the night. And the once wild, so free, happy you and me street fell into a fearful freeze. It is night moonlit night, and all is quiet now as in the curtained windows flicker of TV as news, briefings, facts and stats wash your hands across the land a darkness fell and all was peaceful. And now it is unlock vodka shot summer. We blink in the light blind as moles like bears from their holes come out into the starless and bible black night as life slowly cranks up again. Cautious as a cat, what was that? Keep your distance, stand well back. As fairies light the bars and stars and cars which cruise to peruse the high life, my life, the suit and tie executive life of another night of possibilities on Totti Alley. Listen. You can hear the click of stilettos. Look out for white mini-skirted leopard skin wraps and slit skirts, strap tops, halter tops, non-stop. Give us a twirl, party girls, out for a night or a fight or I just might, out on the town. Not town, but local. No taxi home, not out, out, but out. For a few, a bubbly or two, some pranks and planks, another drink, thanks, on gone for a Burton Road. Arm in arm with the girls, metropolitan bound, giggles and jokes, vodkas and cokes, no coats, might get soaked, but living in hope. This could be the night to meet the one, have some fun, a fling is flung, stagger home at one, mascara run, but stories to tell, bloody hell, gave me a bell, fit as well, all over Twitter, Insta too. Oh well, always another one, or two. Burton Road. Out come the party girls, the banter boys, the funsters, hipsters and the gym bunnies. Out from their long hibernation burrows, the nest of the best where Kenzo, Gucci, D&G are plain to see. What austerity! The barside rails with cafe chairs where the Didsbury set have always met. New iPhone sets the tone, moisturised and spray tanned. Metrosexuals at play, drink all day, guffaw and scope the bar in the hope of meeting an eye. One too shy to resist the fly, wine and dine lines of the chancer. Flyboy chats to the bouncer, but inside dying, crying out for one to share his room. Loft apartment, off-road parking, gone off sharking, charming, in banking, insurance or IT. That's Didsbury. And look again. There's JT Blags, bike on the roof, phoenix on the wall, shows we will all rise and live again. And inside, 
all the nuts, screws and washers you could need to fix your broken life and get all those lockdown tasks finally done. Listen, time passes. Only you can hear the laughter and music carried off in the air, past houses, cafes and bistros asleep, from the pauper's wood to pa's wood, from west to east and the village, a warm glow of sun and fun only begun as the hushed and sleepy bars of Didsbury are closing now, and Burton Road snores before opening its doors to another bright Manchester day. Thank you. Fantastic. Did you ever envisage, Mike, when you first wrote it, started wrote, you wrote that one? You were doing it in a Welsh voice, or did that come later? I think I read it at the uh, dinner party in the Welsh voice, and it, I've tried reading it without the Welsh voice, and it doesn't. I don't think it works quite as well. So I think it has to have a Welsh voice. Bizarrely, to, to read a Welsh poem based in Manchester, but there we are. Um, <laughs> it's been rewritten a bit for the um, the lockdown, of course. So that that was revised for the, when we came out of the last lockdown, and right now oh, we're heading into a, a longer second. lockdown. So. <laughs> Crazy. I was going to ask you before as well. That's a question I forgot to ask you before. Um, have you found that as you're writing, changed the gear since you went into lockdown? Yeah, it's difficult to write about much else, isn't it? It's the obsession that everyone's got. So I was looking through poems to read for this, and I was finding seven or eight that I've written about lockdown, and um, it's such a dominant issue. So, But on the other hand, it's given time. Um, I've not been working as much as I was, so I've had time and space to think and reflect and also to to notice the the world around us we've all slowed down a lot in lockdown and taken time to see the autumn colors and the, the kind of feelings of the the area around which is really special yeah same for me as well because my case was i got sent home from work in march because i'm diabetic and did that furlong so they paid me but they were said they're going to sort out work for me to do from home it took them three months so yeah. I, I was sat there writing and looking at trees and doing podcasts all the time. In many ways, it's a great opportunity, isn't it, to, to step out of our normal routines. And uh, But it's a, a frightening time. There's a lot of anxiety around as well. Oh, yeah, completely. So I agree with you completely. Right. Anyway, we'll get back to the poetry. So, okay. On to your second piece, mate. Okay. Well, from 2012, 2013, I had various troubles in life which gave me thoughts about death and about um, struggles and um, I was waiting for a friend about four years ago five years ago and I walked around the southern cemetery in Manchester between Chalton and Didsbury and this one is called grave thoughts from above ground they lie so quiet in the ground while leaves and nuts fall all around the slanting sun the shadows fall the squirrels scamper magpies call the shortest stories ever told, their lives in stone stand out in bold, a middle name they won't confess, or all three names in Sunday best. No shortened forms or nicknames here, but smart and formal year on year, to sum them up, their date of birth subtracted from their time on earth. And then a caption, phrase or words, those left behind once liked or heard. Some photos too, all weathered grey, seem to suit this autumn day. The older ones are set in stone, but after what's left is bone, some grand with angels, cherubs too, lie standing out. The people who held mighty office, fancy cars, golden letters, flowers in bars, and tended gravel tinted blue, perhaps an odd balloon or two. The money spent to show the loss, but in five years they gather moss. And side by side sleep couples snoring, who shared a bed as life turned boring. The minor quibbles, bitter wrangles, complex knives are now untangled. And all is peaceful, still and true. Just you loved him and he loved you. 
The years of caring in the vines are left forgotten on their shrines. The feuds of parents, siblings, kids by loving words are somehow hid. Here lies a woman, man or child, but lying too, the verses styled by Mason's chisel inches deep commit the body's soul to keep. Many never said a prayer before their parents lying there shuffled off the chains of birth to take their place beneath the earth. Muslim, Hindu, Greek and Jew, now side by side, the old with new, a narrow path, a wailing wall combines the rabbis, mullahs call. Arabic, Hebrew, Mandarin, Greek sit side by side or cheek to cheek. This peaceful world where all wars cease, nirvana or a land of peace. Shangri-La where all get on, get up and go, got up, is gone. Not much gets done, but war is over amongst the leaves, a, wife, a life in clover. So one day, maybe dark and grey, with whispers quiet, my corpse they'll lay, as teeming rain wets the plants and coats of children, wives and aunts. I hope they'll notice all around the beauty of this sacred ground. And when they visit, not too often, remember me and smile and soften. For death's a gift shall come to all, where all is clear and worries pall. We all must live and grow each day, so at my grave let children play. Thank you. That's a beautiful poem, that, Mike. He's also, as well, you made a good move there, I think, because it's completely different to the first piece. It shows a variety yeah. of piece, that one. So was that one of your earlier pieces, then, was it, did you say, was it? Yeah, that was probably five years ago, I think, I wrote it. And um, I was thinking a lot of my poems are about struggles and suffering, and but also trying to end on hope and optimism and... Um, trying to say that death is um, a natural thing that we all have to face at different times. And, um, you know, it's a, death is part of life. Yeah. Again, uh, William Blake talked a lot about opposites, that um, these two things exist in opposite. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great point. So it's yeah, something I think we've all got to face in this. You've yeah. tackled it in a really hopeful and thoughtful way there, definitely. So. Really the Southern Cemetery is an absolutely beautiful place. Again, if people have a chance to visit, I highly recommend it. It's hopefully not uh, permanently. <laughs> but no, it's, it's true. A it's, a... Place. it's a beautiful place just at the moment with the autumn leaves and the colours are just gorgeous. So it's it's gorgeous at the moment. Yeah, that's one of my favourite places as well, indeed. So, okay. I hope we'll do something completely different next, don't we? Yeah. So this one is about the frustration of dealing with the internet. Um <laughs> And um, I wrote this one about two weeks ago, or maybe a bit more, maybe two months ago. And um, trying to log on to anything now, you have to verify that you're not a robot and you have to identify all the different pictures. And with my poor eyesight, I can never see where the bikes are and where the bridges are. So I called it Verify. It's a bit shorter than the other two, so it's not quite such an epic. Verify. When asked to verify, I sigh and try to picture wispy clouds as they scud across an evening sky. The deep mix of purples, blues and greens on the neck of a pigeon or glassy bottle emerald back of a blue bottle fly. The bonding when I catch a stranger's eye. We smile and look away, but for a moment we have walked an inner mile, shared a smile, soothed a cry. The surging swelling in my chest as I hear a moving piece of music taking me out of my bones towards where tears appear, drip unchecked down my flushing cheek. And in that heartbeat, beauty banishes doubt. The world seems fragile, alive, but all is clear. Little makes sense or carries weight, and death too is full of power. I have to steer this leaky craft with too few floats. 
through flowers, thorns, rocks and jagged shore to helm my ship and make life's meaning so much more. And as I stare at screens in depths of night, thinking of what we have and what have not, how essence of our human life can feel so slight, I ponder what really makes us not robots. As with my fading eyesight I peer at grids of city sites and try to tick the boxes which show the blights or traffic lights. Brilliant, life. It's good that again because you said it's I think sometimes always good if you can write a slightly shorter piece sometimes. Definitely that one's ill. Did you find when you were writing that one? Did you find when you wrote that one? Were you surprised at yourself you finished off a quicker than the other two, for example? Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of thought I said what I needed to say. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I, I tend to, to drag out my poems a little bit. They, they often get a bit long, so I often need to trim them a bit. But that one just felt complete as far as it went. And I wasn't no. sure whether it was going to be a funny poem or a deep poem, and it kind of ended up a bit more deep than funny. But um, I don't know if anyone else shares that frustration. of um, Steve Mingle wrote, read a lovely poem about the frustration of dealing with automatic checkouts. And oh, bloody. That was partly in my mind when I was writing that one, the frustration of dealing with robot checking on the internet. Um, oh, St yeah. Steve's at his best, I think, as a writer when he's ranting. And then the yeah. piece in question, we read that one out of Speakeasy. He was absolutely just ranting on that one. It was great. Oh, very he's good. brilliant. Yeah, love his stuff. Yeah. Very, very clever man. So, okay. Now, I think we're doing something a bit different <laughs> again now, aren't we, for a fourth piece now? Yeah, <clears throat> this is another accent one. I used to sip of water first. <laughs> As our friend Reggie is not here, we'll say, drink. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> right. A friend of mine's daughter went to Bristol University and felt stigmatised that she was from the north because people laughed at her accent and criticised her. And she found out there was a northern society at Bristol University. <clears throat> so that got me thinking, what would a northern society talk about down south? So... Um, Hope there's no one offended by references to the South or to the North in this, but uh, it's just a bit of fun with stereotypes. It's kind of talking about the Northern stereotypes. And I'm a naturalised Mancunian. I moved here when I was 14, so I feel very comfortable here. But um, this is called the Northern Society. The Northern Club meets on outskirts of town, in club with sign for Newcastle Brown. Greyhounds and whippets are tied up outside as all things Northern are treated with pride. There's chips and there's gravy and dolts of peas. Not wrong with dripping or tripe on steak pies. No mither or striking, no fuss and nay bother. Just old-fashioned values, our kid. That's me brother. The caps are all flat and the vowels are and all. Fat ladies are names for the bingos we'll call. And pasties and pies and Greg's sausage roll. If drafty will tell thee, put wood in hole. The chair calls to order and all stand to sing. The races at Bladen or Ilkley Moor Ring. Sideboards and braces and buckets of coal on jukebox, oasis and rare northern soul. These exiles from homeland up north where it's grim are forced to drink lager and cocktails with gin. Now then, ladies and gents, courts boss, it's time we debated ketchup or sauce. A sofa or couch, chaise long or settee. What time do we serve our supper or tea? And how do we say the words give us away like castle or plastic, things every day? And is it more posh having scones or a scone? And ice cream what's served in a tub or a cone? And barn cake or muffin, a stotty or bap? What do we eat when past what for gap? Folk look re pensive as pints they did sip and packs of pork scratchings they thoughtfully rip. Aye, they all cried, there's now up with that. Hear, hear, yelled Justin, the soft southern twat. 
The butties were brung out on tin foil for trays, as Yorkshire contingent swapped names for a spade. A pot then was brought out of steaming scouse stew, with puddings from Yorkshire and Eccles cakes too. And blood in a fryer, puddings both black and white, none of your prawn cocktails or sauces and shite. Brass band stars up, playing Hovis track, eyes turning all watery, it takes thee back. Trouble at mill, cobbles and all that, before gentrification and luxury flats. And just as debate turned to what's meant by our pants, and fights breaking out between scousers and manx, the landlord, fearing some mischief or crime, holding his pipe pot, yelled out, Now it's time! But debate spilled out on pavements and streets on why the north is so hard to beat. We talk to each other on buses and trains and discuss weather. It usually rains. So what do we do about arrogant shits who think that up north is truly the pits, who laugh at our mugs and scoff at our vowels and call our dishcloth their fancy tea towels? They tell us to put our powerhouse in order and talk about putting a wall on our border. So it's time to form our own northern party with booze and music and all that malarkey. Enough of the ruling southern elite and Bojo and Tories in safe northern seats. It's time for rebellion. Stand up and fight. Because life in the north is really not shite. So tell them in Bristol, in Oxford and Kent. But grim up north is not what they meant. With music and nightlife, money aplenty. Our cities are perfect when living past 20. So come to where life has so much more meaning. Where people ask how you are with more feeling. Grim up north, what's that you say? I'd rather live up here any old day. Thanks. That was the Northern Society. Really, to raise a lot of good points, Seven, a very slight way, and that's what a lot. Of, that's really clever writing, excellent stuff, Mike. Thanks. Okay, yeah. I'm. I know you've got. You sent me two proposed set lists over before, so I'm not sure what we're going with next. But I don't mind either way, mate. Yeah, I th I've slipped this one in. This one um, <clears throat> is a kind of, I suppose, romantic with a capital R and a lowercase R um, poem based. I was teaching Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, I Think of Thee, which is Sonnet 29. And um, and then I thought about uh, some of the people that I love, my wife, some close friends who are facing struggles. And it's really about thoughts and feelings and, and how we um, should hang on to connection and hang on to love. And it's called, I Like to Think. I like to think of sunny days and lounging on the beach. I like to think of calm but peace seems strangely out of reach. I like to think of my past loves as drifting far from sleep. I like to think of all I've done, achievements oh so few, but most of all, in dead of night, I like to think of you. I like to think of wholesome things like exercising games and having coffee with my friends and those who never blame. I like to ponder mysteries of what this life is for and how the sun can rise each day or waves can reach the shore. I like to lie in bed a while and think of what to do but one thought always makes me smile. It's when I think of you. I like to hear my body breathe and feel my muscles tense. I like to close my eyes and sigh and maybe light incense and try to still my whirlwind mind of thoughts unsettling me and think pure thoughts, both soft and kind to spread love outwardly. I like to find some words which rhyme and coin a phrase or two or whisper saying so sublime, but my thoughts turn to you. When times are tough and I feel small, I cannot face the fight. I curl up in a knotted ball and pray for end of night. But as I face the worst of thoughts of failing health and death, I know one thing will still hold force as long as I have breath. I'm happy that I knew you once, a friend so good and true. And most of all, in thick and thin, I like to think of you. 
My thoughts are like the frothing waves which stir and never cease. My mood is like the autumn tide which never finds its peace. I ebb and flow upon the shore, leave debris on the beach. The constant movement of my mind leaves calm so out of reach. But deep beneath, on ocean floor, where crab and lobster roam, there is a rhythm, ups and downs, which feels to me like home. Away from all the wind and rain, from crashing water too, it's there my mind will come to rest when I will think of you. Yeah, I can see, see the lyric, lyricalism of that one, so yeah. Brilliant. I, I, I don't think I've heard that one before. I know most of your stuff, that one doesn't ring a bell, but again, but then it's a lovely piece, definitely that, so. Thank you, thank you, mate. What you've done there is you've took it beyond a bit, it's a homage, but you made your own voice. That makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit, I mean, I'm kind of, as I said before, talking about rhymes, I'm kind of sticking to a very regular rhyme scheme in that one, but it just seemed to flow when I started writing it. So I thought I'm just going to let it happen and not fight it. Um, and it seemed to, to hang together reasonably well. So I was fairly pleased with that one. No, I can't believe it. Beautiful. Okay. What are we going to go for next time? Right. This one, I've done four drafts of this and <laughs> uh, I really, <laughs> it's one which isn't regular rhyme scheme. Um, but it's basically um, playing a bit with rhyme and it's playing with boundaries about um, what you what you think is the right thing and how you behave and lines that we have in life and you know, limits on behavior and limits on life. And it's called, I called it lines in the end. <clears throat> and here it goes. You can lose yourself without boundaries, sand without lines, no paths or signs, slip the lead, lose the reins and leave your compass behind. Follow your firefly heart and wallow in marshmallow words. Cushion by caution, leap over the mark, relish the freefall of a brand new start. Hours are fragrant, full of boundless beauty, edges blurred by passport-free possibility. No checks or balances, border controls or walls to hold in your restless waiting. Wanting yet fearing to be bound, lost not needing to be found. And love changes, I love changes too. Life rearranges dancing here with you. And here's a pedestal, statue long gone, a goddess who lives there in a song, awoken from her stony sleep, steps down to shake her sandy feet. She heard a call and blood restored with lonely chords. She sang it back and love with hate and cauldron mixed. Transfixed by lack would call her name. With pain and longing, fear and shame, I chose to steer my ship to rocks. The lifeline snapped, lashed by the sea. It splintered there and I jumped free. With fingers crossed, we choose our path each day, and lines in sand are whispered away. Two tinder twigs so quickly caught with blended feelings, common thought. Passion grew, we lived our best, and sadness lost like widow birds with wings of lead who weave a nest from grass long dead, and mossy leaf gives us warmth and sweet relief. Burning life gives light and heat, and so our words pulse hearts to beat. I dread the loss of what was me, but as I stoop on bended knee, I lose myself, but choose the wealth of freedom through which paths arose, lit up so bright by honeyed words and thoughts and dreams this sower sows. Let loose the limits, free like birds. And at times the path is dust by gathered cloud and fears is lost, single file or side by side, we wander, wander, unleashed free, a world beyond lost together with no guide, carefree castaways with no boundary, grains of sand carried by the soothing tide. 
Thank beautiful, you. beautiful. It's got a very um, sort of gentle sound that piece. I'm loving by the end of it as well. So, oh, thanks, Andy. It's partly Ozymandias, the Shelley poem, is the reference to the statue and things. So I was teaching that when I started writing that one. I think so. That was part of the influence. But uh, yeah, again, it just kind of came out that way. No, it's good. Don't, don't, don't have to force it as a writer sometimes. If that felt legit and like yeah. you felt it, you wrote it honestly in the best way. Right, I think you're doing a poem that you could run it to conclude with now, aren't you? Right, it's about my mum. Who, uh, oh, is your mum's it, right? Uh, ah, right, yeah. This was inspired by my sister texting me about uh, two or three years ago saying that mum wants to take lots of selfies, and I thought that was quite <laughs> funny. She, at the age of 92, she was starting to do selfies, so wow. it set a train of thought about technology and thinking about how <coughs> old dogs are having to learn new tricks at the moment. Everyone's going on Zoom and learning about technology and uh, this is a, a tribute to my wonderful mum, who's still uh, going strong at 94 up in Edinburgh. Wow. And it's called Granny High, Granny High Tech. <clears throat> my mum's been posting selfies at the age of 92. She's becoming all tech savvy. Well, I haven't got a clue. They say a dog can get too old to teach itself new tricks. But she's on Twitter, Instagram, even downloads from Netflix. It started in her 80s when the tablets which she took were traded in one high-tech day for a brand new iMac book. She logged on to her emails, sent me messages so sweet, attaching photos from her phone, emojis and a tweet. She went off to a night class, her notebook clutched in hand. The nice young man who helped her made her understand the joys of new technology, Wi-Fi and the rest. She came back on a Segway in a Dayglow high-vis vest. She worried she was losing it, but got a memory stick. And now it's all on iCloud. She can find it really quick. She opened up a channel on media sharing sites, and now she's earning millions. YouTube star overnight. She bought a brand new headset to live life virtually. The game she plays are tidying up and making scones for tea. She got herself a Fitbit for when she walks downstairs. He's always going on Fortnite where she gives the kids a scare. She splashed out on a bot vac, which helps her clean the house. I'm sure I saw it one day being ridden by a mouse. She bought a Bluetooth speaker for Radio 4 all day. Then a new Alexa, which would do just what she'd say. But now she wants to upgrade. Even wants a fridge that speaks. Tells you when to order milk and when your icebox leaks. She wants to put the heating on when popping down the shops by using all the fancy apps to add to her Dropbox. She even went on Tinder to help her light her fires. The nice young chap who turned up turned out to be a liar. Her profile went on Grinder to sharpen up her knives. Graham was an odd chap, he led some secret lives. But one thing about my mum, which still quite puzzles me, with all these fancy gadgets, she still can't work TV. And finding eject buttons or play on her hi-fi is such a massive struggle, it makes her want to cry. The thing about my, I love about my mum is not her high-tech brain. She masters every new device while staying just the same. She doesn't need her bandwidth to show such love to all. She always asks how people are each time they make a call. The way she lives her real world life can make me feel so proud. She makes such good connection with each one in a crowd. She's such a high tech granny, updated every day. And we all think she's magic, so smart in every way. That's for my mum, thank you. Brilliant, brilliant. No, it's great if your mum's still going stronger at age of 95, mate. So my dad's like 80, just turned 85, and he's doing yeah. great at the minute himself. It's, it puts a good side to yourself if you if, if you're one of your parents is living to that age. You think you help yeah. yourself, like yeah. you'll be 
you'd be healthy yourself at a certain age. Yeah, so. yeah, and she's got a lot of wisdom about what's going on in the world at the moment, Andy, as well. I mean, it's a crazy world we're living through. And she lived through the, she was an ambulance driver in the Second World War and lived through all sorts of difficult experiences. But, um, you know, we need some wisdom at the moment, don't we? Oh, God, yeah, completely with that one. So great stuff, that, Mike. Okay, that's Thank it you. for today. Thank you again, Michael, or Mike, I call you. Been a pleasure today. I should have booked you in years ago, mate. So, what? <laughs> it's been a pleasure. So, my guy, hang around, buddy. I need to speak you off mic. This is okay, Andy. Thanks very much, Andy, for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's been it. a pleasure today. Been brilliant. For all you do with the spoken word scene as well, you put a lot of work into it. So, it's much valued. Too much sometimes. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure today, Mike, as always. Cheers. See you soon. Bye now. Spoken, mate.